What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to My Social Life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. And before we jump into today's conversation with Isaiah Rivera, there's a couple things that we need to go over first. Number one, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider leaving a rating and a review. The more positive ratings and reviews you get, the more it helps people find the show, and it really helps to grow the community that we're developing here. And if you're one of those people that have recently found the podcast, welcome. I'm very excited to have you here. Make sure you subscribe and stay tuned for future episodes. And to everybody listening, make sure you screenshot this, post it to your Instagram story, tag at Isaiah Rivera one and at my social life podcast, and I'll feature you on the account and send you a message as well. Now, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Isaiah Rivera. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to my social life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly, and today we're joined by Isaiah Rivera, and he's a professional dunker, one of the best dunkers on the planet. And just over five years ago, he couldn't even dunk. And the craziest part is he's only scratching the surface of his potential because he's only 21 years old. So I'm very excited to have one of the best dunkers on the planet on the podcast today. Isaiah, welcome to the show. What's up, man? Uh, glad to be here and, and share my, my journey a little bit. I'm excited to have you here, man. And before we get into your journey, I just want to touch a little bit on pro dunking. And I kind of want to like explain to people that don't necessarily know how it works. I kind of want to just give them a little bit of an overview on pro dunking as a whole. So how does it work? Like, where do you compete for dunking? Is there like a league or anything like that? Like, how does that work? Yeah. Uh, so dunking, um, it's a very, it's a very niche sport. Um, and obviously it came, it came from basketball. The, the first, the first kind of dunking experience everybody got was the NBA dunk contest. That's how it started. And around like the late 1990s, early 2000s, uh, there started, there was this team called Slam Nation and they were based in France. They started doing like dunk shows everywhere, um, like all around France. And eventually they got good enough where they started doing halftime shows for like French all-star game. Then it moved on to the NBA. Um, and then from there in the mid 2000s, like 2006, 2008, this team called uh, Team Flight Brothers popped up. And Team Flight Brothers, they were basically the people that kind of like popularized, popularized dunking with their YouTube videos. Like, and they were, they, they got really huge on YouTube. Um, they started uh, taking part of dunk contest. I remember uh, Sprite, they had, they had a dunk contest like every year. They would, they would hold competitions in every city. Um, and little by little, just the, the sport grew and it became a really international thing. Now there's dunk contests all over the world. There isn't a, a specific league, which is kind of what separates it from um, being like an official recognized sport. There isn't like one governing body, like setting rules or anything like that. It's kind of, it's kind of set up, uh, just somebody will set up a dunk contest and they'll get some sponsors going. They'll fly dunkers out and they'll they'll compete all over the place. Uh, another big organization that's doing dunk contests now is also FIBA 3x3. Uh, FIBA 3x3 is actually a, an Olympic sport now. It's going to be in this this upcoming Olympics, and they hold a dunk contest in all their masters competitions. So they're they're kind of the closest to making it like they have like a legitimate like rule system with dunking and a process with that. Um, but other than that, man, it's uh, it it isn't anything official. It's just, like anybody can set up a dunk contest like like if you have enough money you can make a dunk contest in your town pay the dunkers and we'd we'd show up and it's basically goes from there and so so with everyone like with dunk contests kind of being not necessarily unregulated but with everyone having the ability to do their own 
is scoring across them the same or like does each dunk contest differ for how they score the dunks um i mean usually what people do and this this comes from the nba dunk contest like this, that's just how it started uh you'll usually have a few judges and they'll score the dunks from from one to ten and they'll add up the scores and the guy with the highest scores like like wins at the end of the day um but having said that there's there's been a bunch of different like scoring systems i've seen um there's there's the shows like like dunk king that aired on tnt a couple years ago they would score from one to a hundred um there's dunk contest where everybody gets like one minute to do the dunks and then the best the, the guy with the best cluster dunks wins um and then it goes even further than that where like what do you score the, like what do you use to measure the dunks like like some people though they they don't know anything about dunking and they'll they'll just see people jumping over people and that they get like amazed after that and they'll give a 10 and then there's guys who are really into dunking and they'll really break down the dunks in terms of like vertical style creativity power all that um so it, it varies a lot and it's it can be pretty subjective um but I think that's the biggest thing right now for pushing it to become a sport is just getting like a concrete ruling system, kind of like, say, diving or gymnastics, uh, where it can be subjective, but they've done a good job of breaking it down into objective like measures to, to score it on. Mm-hmm. And then like, obviously, when people think dunking, they think of the NBA and the dunk contest. But I'm curious, in your opinion, like how do pro dunkers differ from NBA players competing in the dunk contest? Uh, I mean, quite simply, like, this is our job all like. We only train to dunk, um, and NBA players—they're—they're they're the best best athletes on the planet. Like, like they're all the average height in the NBA is like six seven. They're all super long, um, usually like really athletic. Uh, and for the for the dunk contest, like they're they're playing basketball all year, and they come out for for one weekend and and do their do their dunks. They might practice a couple times, like like after after practice and all that, but um they're they're extremely naturally gifted and they can usually learn dunks really quick um i would say pro dunkers are are better just because it's literally all we do um but i i guarantee if you take some of the freakiest guys in the nba like say aaron gordon Derek jones jr or gerald green or something like that if you train them to be a pro dunker for three months they would blow everybody out of the water is there any crossover right now in terms of like pro dunkers and nba players interacting or like do guys ever see some of the dunks you do and like they reach out to you or anything like that yeah uh that's actually gotten a lot bigger over the last the last few years um i actually in 2017 uh there was a nba dunk contest and i got flown out to help uh glenn robinson jr uh or glenn robinson uh the third I, I helped him out with with his dunks for the NBA dunk contest, and he ended up winning. Uh, he was playing for the Indiana Pacers at the time, so I literally just got flown out to Indiana to because we have like similar jumping styles. Like we're both left right plants, right handed dunkers, and yeah, I got flown out, taught him taught him the dunks, and he ended up winning the contest. So that was that was like my personal experience with it. Um, I know a bunch of guys got flown out this year to help up some of the guys like chris staples he's a he's a pro dunker he helped out dwight howard dwight howard for his first dunk did a dunk called the christ there and chris staples taught him that um and i know in 20 also in 2017 um there's this like dunk team called dunk elite and a few of the dunkers from there got flown out to um uh, believe it was 
I don't remember where where the dunk contest 2017 was. Um, but yeah, they got they got flown out there and they won. I think it was New Orleans, but yeah, they they taught them all the dunks and all that stuff. That's awesome. So I want to kind of go back because you've been playing basketball since you were a kid, right? Like you played growing up. Yeah, yeah, basketball. I, I always tell people basketball is my first love. Like um, I started playing it when I was ten years old and got obsessed with it. Started practicing it three four hours every single day. It was all I could think about. All I could talk about. He used to do and one video game movies in your living room, right? Yes, yes. Um, I actually had so growing up, like my my family was pretty poor. We didn't have internet access, um, but I did have a PlayStation Two, and there was a game called And One Streetball for for the PlayStation Two. And there's this part in the game where you can see all the streetball moves, like because you can make your own player and give them give them certain streetball moves. And I would literally put that on the TV and then just start copying like, like the, the moves I saw in the game um, with, with what I would do, like I would, all the handles and stuff like that. So, and one, and one had a huge impact on me. That's awesome. It's like when you were playing ball, like before you really start, started to get into dunking exclusively, like how far do you think you could have taken basketball? Like, could you have played basketball at a div one level? Like, was that a goal of yours before you got into dunking? Yeah. Or like, I mean, my goal, yeah. My goal was always to reach the NBA. I feel like every every little kid with hoop dreams, like that's that's their ultimate goal, um, is reaching the NBA. And I put a lot of work in, but there was a couple of things that that prevented me from that. The first one, it was that I was a super super late bloomer. Like I was when I was sixteen, I was still I was only like like five eight, like ninety nine pounds or something like that, hundred pounds. Um, so like super late bloomer. Uh, second thing. I moved around a lot. I went to to twelve schools in twelve years, so I was never able to get like established in a in like a basketball program. So it was every year it was like a new like I I kind of had to like make a name for myself, try out again for a basketball team, um, and yeah, I just honestly like just th- th- those combination of factors like like made it tough. Um, the the last place I I moved to was Florida. I still I still live here in Florida and. I played varsity basketball my senior year and uh that's kind of like when I started getting like like really good. I finally grew to like like 6-1. Um I started being able to dunk. I couldn't dunk in games yet. Um like like I was like barely I was like rim grazing. Um and then literally after my senior basketball season ended, like my vertical just exploded. Like I started being able to do like between the legs dunks, jumping over people and all that stuff, but it was just honestly, it was just bad timing. Um, and after after that basketball season ended, like I, I wasn't recruited anywhere to play basketball, and I actually got an academic scholarship for college, so I didn't necessarily need to to play sports like in college. And I started getting so obsessed with dunking that like I was just like, man, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna run with this, see how far I can take take this this dunking thing, and. And go from there and like what what first drew you into dunking like was it watching videos online like i think i saw somewhere was it you found jordan kilgannon on a street ball form was that really like the first time you were like started yeah. to really get hooked with dunking yeah so dunking always like drew me in uh from from the moment that i found basketball i was always fascinated by by the nba dunk contest and players that could jump high like michael jordan was is my favorite player of all time and obviously his dunk contest was a big like aspect of his career, kind of like part of his legend. And I just idolize these guys, these high flyers in the NBA. And 
dunking was always my dream. And what's funny is I kind of always knew I would be able to dunk. I don't know why I got that feeling. Um, again, I was a late bloomer. I was always I was always little growing up. I was always one of like the shorter guys on the basketball team and stuff like that. But I, I had like moderate athleticism growing up. Um, and I don't know. I just had this feeling that I'd be able to dunk like one day. And I was always obsessed with it. I was always trying to dunk on like low rims. I had a nerf hoop and I would I would dunk on it all the time. On um, basketball, like my neighbors would have portable hoops and like I would always lower it seven feet and dunk on it and stuff like that. And then so so I always I always loved the dunking aspect of of basketball. And then when I turned sixteen, that's when I found um, kind of the world of professional dunking. Again, I found Jordan Kilgannon was the first guy that I saw that was a pro dunker. He he hit a dunk. This was 2014. He hit a dunk called the crown, which is you stick both your elbows in backwards, the re- reverse double elbow dunk. And that kind of just blew my mind. And then I found his YouTube and I saw that he started from nothing as well. He was at the same point I was at the time, barely, barely dunking. And that just opened my eyes and like I, I was fascinated. And then and then as I started making progress, I just got really obsessed with it. And how cool is it now to be friends with Jordan Kilgannon? Like think back to when you're like 16 years old and you find him on YouTube and now you guys are friends. Like how cool is that for you? Um, I mean, honestly, like it's it's more normalized for me now. Like like it's just kind of like a part of my life because I see I see him just like as a regular dude and stuff like a friend. Um, but I remember I remember when he first I think it was on Facebook. I found him on Facebook and obviously like so dunking wasn't wasn't as big. He he wasn't as big actually at the time. Um this like 2014. Uh I think I think on Instagram he had 14,000 followers. I remember I remember that's when I first followed him. When he had 14,000 followers. And I mean that's that's a lot compared to the average person, but in terms of his his popularity now, I think he has like 700,000 or something like that on Instagram. So like like the pop it was like it's nothing compared to now. Um but me being a 16-year-old kid uh, who, like, just found this world of pro dunking, these guys were, like, like superstars to me. Like, like I, I would fangirl more over, over meeting a dunker than I would over an NBA player, like, in all honesty. And I find this guy on Facebook, Jordan Kilgannon, and I send him a friend request, and he accepts, accepts it. And it was probably the best day of my life at the time, like, I remember freaking out. I told my parents they they have no idea who this guy is. Like he's just just the guy on Facebook dunking. Uh, but I'm just hype telling everybody I go to school to everybody that that I'm friends with Jordan Kuganon on Facebook. Um, so I was extremely excited. And then and then he started giving me advice because I guess he he saw the potential I had at the time and he saw that I had like a actual passion and love for for dunking. And he started helping me out. And man, those early days like. Any like any chance I, I I would get to talk to him I would just pick his brain as much as I could and it was it was a crazy time like I was super exciting. And speaking of the early days, I think there's a video of it. But do you, can you kind of walk me through the feeling you had the the first time you threw down a dunk on a ten foot rim? Like how did you feel when you kind of hit the ground? You were like, oh shit, I just did it. Uh, <laughs> I mean nothing nothing can compare to that. Like to be honest, like like it's it's a feeling that i don't think can be like recreated by by anything um i remember that that day i mean i had been trying to dunk for for a couple of couple of months now and i remember i just woke up that day and like i had gone like really literally just straight out of bed didn't even brush my teeth or anything just went straight outside because like i was so excited to go try to dunk and it was unexpected i just went up 
hit it and I was just in disbelief. Like, like I remember my neighbors were outside and like I just started screaming and my neighbors, I, there's these, uh, they're, they're twins and they're like three years younger than me or so three, four years younger than me. They would always like dunk on, on the lower settings and like they saw that I, that I hit my dunk. Obviously I started screaming and then I ran inside, told my parents, um, and it was crazy. Like that's, that's literally what sparked everything. Just that trying to recreate that feeling again. I have a note written down here and I can't remember why, like what the story behind it is that made me want to ask you this, but I just have written down here to ask you about the story where you hit your first in-game reverse pump and then get ran into. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. That's a, that's a throwback. <laughs> um, that was, so I go to, or I went to, I just graduated from there. I went to UCF, um, uh, and this was, this is my freshman year, I think like in the spring. And I, I was playing in a basketball game. Um, the UCF, the UCF rec center, like it gets packed at night. So there was big crowds, like, um, just, just playing a game. This was nighttime. Um, really dope. But I remember just, we were running up and down. I was feeling really bouncy and I go do a reverse pump. And when I land from the, when I land on the floor after the dunk, like this was, this was like complete opposites of emotion. Like I went across the whole spectrum. So I go reverse pump, crush the dunk. I feel the excitement, the adrenaline. As soon as I land, this kid just runs into me and his tooth, like, like made contact with my skull. And then I just started bleeding like crazy. Like, like I'm talking, I didn't even know I was bleeding. I, I stood up and I'm like, damn, like that hurt. Like, Obviously, I've, I've headbutted people in basketball games before by accident, or I've gotten headbutted. Like, like it, it's something that just happens sometimes. Um, so I thought I thought this was just a regular like we just clashed crashed into each other. But then I start feeling like warmth go down my face, and I look down at the floor, and there's blood dripping. And then everybody starts freaking out, and I go to the bathroom. It's literally my face is bathed in blood. And yeah, that was my my first reverse pump in a game story. <laughs> that's wild i actually now that you say now that you say story, i can remember i can like picture the instagram photo of you with like blood on your face that you posted that must yeah, a lot of people think a lot of people think i got that from hitting my head on the rim um, oh really uh, yeah but yeah that one was just from somebody running into me and they basically bit my skull <laughs> um but i've actually i've actually uh started bleeding from getting my head hit on the rim another time so I have two scars on my on my head. One's from that, and then one's like like on top of my head, basically like near where my hairline is. And that one, I tried that same dunk that I said Jordan Kilgannon hit the the crown double elbows backwards. I tried that dunk, and a mistake I made that dunk. You're not supposed to look up, or the the rim's gonna smack you in the in the face. And I looked up while trying that dunk, and I just pulled the rim down onto my head, and then that one was like really bad. That one I had to like get stitches for and everything. That's crazy. That's yeah. so nuts. Um, when did you ultimately decide to turn pro, and what does that look like when you make that decision to become a pro dunker? So it's funny during high during my senior year in high school basketball, like I kind of started realizing I wouldn't be I wouldn't be playing college, I wouldn't be playing professionally. Um, I, I mean, I still love the game of basketball, but like the like the reality of it hit me. And then this is also right when I started discovering this world of pro dunking. And like, I mean, I've always had big dreams and stuff, but seeing and then especially seeing Jordan Kilgannon, that's really what inspired me because he he had the same he was at the same level I was at at the, at the same age. And then seeing that he's over here, like 
got to become the best dunker on the planet. I, I like knew it was possible. And I just, I made it a goal just to not even to be a pro dunker. I just made it a goal to be the best dunker on the planet, like straight up at, at 16, 16 years old. Um, I had that goal. And then Jordan Kilgannon from when we first started talking, he put that idea into my head that I could be the best dunker on the planet. Um, there's actually a video of, of him getting interviewed on YouTube. Um, it's on the FIBA 3X3 channel. I think if you search up uh, Jordan Kilgannon, Life of a Pro Dunker, uh, you can you can find the video. But this is 2014 or 2015. Um, and this is when I'm, like, barely getting into the dunk scene, like, you know, starting to do, like, easy, easy dunks and stuff. Um, and he mentions me. He's like, oh, like, there's this, like, there's this kid on the come up. His name's Isaiah Rivera. And if he does everything right, he could easily pass me up. Like, he could easily do it. And then he was always saying saying things like that, like, like kind of getting me to realize my potential. So, like, literally from, from 16, 17 years old, I just had it in my head that I wanted to be the best dunker on the planet one day. And then do you remember your first competition? Uh, yes. My first competition was a UCF student dunk contest. This is October 2014. Um, and this was like... I, I did it with two of my friends. Um, they're also dunkers. One of one of them is named Steven Selly. He's more of a YouTuber. And the other is CJ Champion. Um, Christopher's on his name. His Instagram CJ Champion. CJ's another pro dunker. He was on Dunk League with me. Um, he's Yeah, he's a beast. But around this time, me and CJ, like, we've always been around the same skill level. But we find out that UCF is having this student dunk contest. I think it's it's like I, colleges usually do this thing called, like, Midnight Madness, right, before, like, to kick off their basketball season. Um, so that's what this was for. And all the UCF players were the judges. I think like the girl and basketball, the girls basketball team and the boys basketball team or the men's and women's, um, they were the judges and yeah, that was, it was my first contest. I planned out all my dunks beforehand. Um, I did, I did double ups, which is when you jump over somebody and you push off, <laughs> off their head. But I planned, I planned out, I think it was four dunks. I just planned them all out, went out, executed, hit them first try and, and won it. And I won $200 worth of Wendy's gift cards, which fed me that entire year, <laughs> which was amazing. That's awesome. And so yeah. fast, fast forwarding from that point, we're doing the student dunk contest at UCF to today. What does your schedule look like as a pro dunker? Like how many competitions, like obviously like not in a coronavirus world, what does it normally look like for your schedule when it comes to yeah. competitions? Like how often are you traveling and stuff like that? So when it comes to pro dunking, the guys that are able to make like, a consistent living off of it, like purely based off of dunk contests, like not not including like social media sponsorships, um, maybe doing like a like getting a jump program lease and stuff like that. Like a lot of guys have like kind of side hustles related to to their dunking and social media. Purely based off of dunking, the guys that are able to consistently make a living would be like the top like maybe four or five guys on the planet, right? Um, and coming up, I've been doing dunk competitions and making money off of it since I was. 19 that was when i when i or 18 that's when i first made money off of dunking um but i was always like like i was i was good compared to the average person but in the elite dunking world like i wasn't one of the best in the world uh, by far and i would say the first year where i kind of cracked into that top five ranking um was this past year summer summer 2019 and it's funny because I thought I was like good enough since like 2018. 2018, I was basically the same skill level as 2019, but like I, I didn't get opportunities to dunk. Um, I actually, I think I only did like two dunk contests that year um, in 2018. 
Um, but then 2019, I started kind of going viral for my dunks. People started realizing how good I was. And then that's, kind of, I, I consider 2019, summer 2019 and on, my first experience as a true professional dunker, being top five in the world and just getting opportunities all the time. And that started with Y54, which is a one of the, it's arguably the biggest dunk contest on the planet every year. It's Jordan Brand. It's in Paris, a uh, street ball tournament. and. I did that dunk contest, jumped over Blake Griffin, ended up winning it. Um, this is also against other top guys in the world. And from there, um, I started having dunk contests all the time. I would say during the summer, it was basically every weekend, um, if not every weekend, every other weekend. And then the longest break I had in between competitions was probably three weeks. Um, and it's funny because like I have I have a trainer. His name is John Evans. Um, he's actually he's my business partner with, with our jump program as well um but he's been he's been training me since 2017 and we kind of knew that you know like like I was getting I was getting really good at this was going to be a big summer and I told him I was like yo like dunk season's considered it's basically like the summertime um that's when that's when all the competitions happen and then it kind of cools down during the winter and then we're like all right so we'll peak you for the summer and then we'll get back to training after that but what's funny is I don't think it ever cooled down like from from June 2019 till I want to say November, November 2019, it was literally like nonstop, basically every other weekend. Like I would say that, that would be the average, like that I was getting like competitions and like calls for shows and contests and all that it was every other weekend. Um, and it was, it was really fun, super tough and really difficult on the body, but it was, it was fun. And like, are those competitions all over the world? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this past summer. So I went and this was my first this was my first time being overseas like like this last year. Right. So it started with Paris. Uh, From there, I went to Mexico, Mexico City. Um, I went to Shanghai, uh, went to Montreal, Riga, Latvia. Um, I went to Utsunomiya in Japan. Um, So it's literally all over the place. That's crazy. It's like how does it work then in terms of like recovery and stuff and acclimatizing to the new time zones and everything? Like if you're flying from Florida to Paris, to Mexico city, to Shanghai, how early do you try to get there to kind of get used to the time zone and stuff? So you're not jet lagged when you're competing. So this is, this is where I, I say that pro dunkers are differentiated from your average dunker. Um, to be a pro dunker, you literally have to be able to dunk on call whenever and be a, like, you just, just got to be able to perform no matter what. So I would say the average amount of sleep that I got before a contest was literally two hours, like not exaggerating whatsoever, two hours, because jet, jet lag just, it just messes you up really bad. Um, and you usually don't even get flown out uh, for a long enough time to, to acclimatize to, to, the, to the time zone. Like you, you probably get flown out like two days before the contest, um, sometimes, sometimes the day before, but I, I would say the average is around two days before the dunk contest. Um, yeah, you're literally there. Just, you don't, you don't get any sleep and you just got to be able to perform. And, um, like you just gotta, you just gotta trust that your training that has paid off and trust your skills. And like I said before, that's where like pro, like elite pro dunkers are differentiated from everybody else. Your, your average guy that that's a dunker that has like an Instagram or YouTube is posting dunks and stuff like that. They, they need to be on a specific court with specific shoes. 
Um, they need to have exactly a certain amount of sleep and recovery before the session. Um, whereas as a pro dunker, man, you got to be able to do it with zero sleep. Um, you got to be able to jump on any surface, any rim height, uh, any, any kind of condition. It can be a hundred degrees outside or it can be 50 degrees outside. Um, a good story I have actually is when I went to Mexico city, this was my first FIBA three X three competition. And I had a, I had a flight. So I live in Orlando. I had a flight to Miami and then from Miami to Mexico city. The flight, like if, if you know anything about Florida, Florida has like the most bipolar weather. And then during summer, like rains every single day, um, it can get pretty bad, especially during hurricane season. So the weather was really bad from Orlando to Miami. So the flight got delayed really bad. So I ended up missing my flight from Miami to Mexico City. Mind you, my dunk contest is the next day. So they put me so I had to stay the night at the airport and they put me on the first flight to, to Mexico City the next day. And I'm at the airport. Something about me, if I'm not in a bed, like in my bed at home, I'm terrible at sleeping. So like I'm in hotel rooms, uh, if I'm at an airport, like I just I just can't fall asleep. So I literally stayed up the whole night at the airport. Trying, I was trying to sleep, but I, I just couldn't. I couldn't because like it was an airport. Lights are on. There's people cleaning the floors and stuff like that. Just zero sleep. And then I get flown out to Mexico City that morning. I get I get to Mexico probably two hours before the contest, drive to my hotel, get dressed, go to the contest, and had one of my best dunk contests ever. So that was that was literally straight off a flight with zero sleep, had to had to do the competition. That's insane. It's like between competitions, and if you have like two weeks between competitions, how often are you training? Or is it just pretty much recovery between competitions? So the training is basically like training to maintain. Um, I'm somebody that I have to be basically like lifting heavy, like constantly to, to keep my bounce up. Um, but in order to like, obviously you don't want to be lift training so hard that you, you're fatigued. So I literally will get back home, take a couple of days to recover from the competition um and then hit the weight room three times per week and then the week right before the competition i'll basically cut all my volume in half so i just um i won't run as much i won't i won't lift as much and yeah it's just it's it's lifting to maintain basically that's that's all it is and i know your dad was an olympic lifter in college and he power cleaned almost 400 pounds like how does his experience as a weightlifter affect your training when it comes to being in the gym yeah, um, I mean, it played it played a huge role. Like growing up, um, so I I used to he he's actually he's actually my my stepdad, um, and uh, him and my mom they met when when they were in college, and this was while he was like a he was an Olympic weightlifter in college, and they would take me to all the all the meets his Olympic weightlifting meets, um, and he also had like VHS tapes of of all his meets like at home. So as a little kid, I would just. I was put him in and watch, watch him like do his competitions and stuff like that. I would copy what he'd do with a broomstick. He'd see me, he'd, he'd fix up my technique. Um, and he, he just taught me a lot about, a lot about weight training, like growing up and stuff like that. So it was super important. Cause like it taught me to move well. It taught me good technique. Like by the time I was 15, like I already knew exactly how to train, um, like with, with good technique and um, how to get stronger and all that. 
And I've heard you describe as a student of the game when it comes to dunking. So I'm curious in your opinion, like you described earlier that dunking is a niche sport. So as someone like yourself, that's a student of the game, one of the top dunkers in the world, what do you think has to happen for dunking to become more of a mainstream sport? Um, number one is more people have to do it. Uh, dunking, I think what makes it so, so niche is that just the act of dunking like just doing a one-hander that's really rare that's really tough it's a it's an athletic feat just just to do a regular dunk and i don't know what percentage of people can dunk. i think i looked it up super low a super low percentage of people can dunk um compare that to any any sport that gets popular it gets popular because people can do it um and even even to make it more mainstream in terms of people watching it the more people play a sport the more those people those same people will want to watch the sport right so you, number one is getting more people to do it and the key of that is is low rimming like literally buying buying a hoop that you can adjust to a height you can dunk and dunking on it like to all the listeners if you've never dunked a basketball i suggest literally get a hoop or get access to a low rim and just go and dunk on it for for 20 minutes and you'll literally understand like that's the best way I can put it. You'll understand what all the hype is about, why we get so obsessed with this. Um, and low rimming's fun because, like, anybody can do it. That's how I grew up. That's how almost every pro dunker grew up dunking on lower rims. Um, so I, I feel like – and, yeah, it's, it's just fun, man. So I feel like that's, that's number one. Um, number two, a uh, firm set of rules has to be, has to be set in place. Um, that way every competition can be basically – Created against each other. That way, you can go to a contest in Europe, then go to a contest in the USA, and then do a dunk contest in South America. All, any competition in the world, it'll be the same rules, and you'll be able to compare like competition to competition, how people did, and all that stuff. Um, so, I think those are those are the main things. And then, um, honestly, things like knowing how to train for it and all that, like it's not as important just as just getting people to actually just go dunk. Mm -hmm. And do you think another thing too, like, do you think with people like yourself that are creating tons of content and posting on social media that through social media, you'll help get a larger audience for dunking, which will ultimately yeah. lead to more people playing the sport as well? Yeah. I mean, social media is huge, man. Like that's, that's the reason dunking is even a, a sport like that. We can make money off of it because of social media. Um, I found, I found dunking through YouTube and then started posting my dunks on, on Instagram. That's, what got me recognized that's what gets everybody recognized is social media i just wanted to talk about your instagram now i think you're sitting at 130,000 followers right you've yeah. been consistently you've been consistently posting since about 2013 i was curious as to why you've been so consistent over the last like seven years posting on instagram um honestly i started posting my dunks just to just to keep track of my progress man like i i always i always tell people my instagram is my training journal so like when i first started posting i, I made my instagram on in 2013 i think i started posting i started posting my dunks when like the videos came out like the videos feature on instagram um and it, i don't know it was super easy like you could post 15 second clips uh it was really e like compared to youtube it was a lot easier to post um and i think i started I posted my first dunk attempt and then um later on I posted my first dunk and then two-hander and fast forward six months and I could like scroll back and be like, damn, like 
I've made hella progress. Like, this is so cool. And I barely got any engagement in the beginning. Like, honestly, like it, it was literally as a, like, I just treated it as a training journal, a way to, a way to track my progress. And that's been my main, my main objective this whole time is keep tracking my progress and um, just see, see how far I've come. Uh, I can like look back and see if I was feeling a certain way, like if I improved, what caused me to improve. So like, especially in the early days, that's, that's why I was posting consistently. It's just, I, I tried to post everything, man. Like just, just share my entire journey. And at what, what point did your engagement start to really pick up? I know you said like, was it this summer that your career as a pro dunker started to really take off? Is that in parallel when your social media started to take off or were you gaining some traction prior to last summer on Instagram? So I would say the growth definitely came in burst. Um, like I remember, you know, when you first start social media, social media, you're at zero followers. And then I got to, I got to like a thousand pretty quick. Um, like, you know, that's just from friends, people in school following me, um, like all, all that stuff. And then I started posting my dunks and like using hashtag dunk in basketball. And the hashtags were like really important in the beginning. Like that's what kind of caused me to be discovered by like dunk fanatics. Um, and then there was one post, I think the very first, I guess you could call it viral post that I ever did. I did, I had my friend stand on this little like box jump thing. And then I jumped over him standing on that and dunked it. And like I said, I'm, I'm a, I was like a super late bloomer. So when I was posting my dunks in the beginning, like I had like, I, like, I looked like a little kid. Like I looked like a 12 year old, like doing these dunks. Um, and that kind of went a little viral and that led to me getting to like 10,000 followers. Um, and then from there, it just kind of kept going up consistently, like little by little. And around 2017, I had a, a couple other viral posts. And I remember around 2016, 2017, the, the growth on Instagram was really easy to do organically. Like, like I remember, especially with dunking, a lot of posts would blow up. Like I would randomly post a dunk and it would get like, Two million views on Instagram out of nowhere, um, so my growth really shot up then, and it led to me getting to around like forty k, fifty k around there, just like from twenty thirteen to like twenty eighteen, um, and then my growth really, really slowed down. But twenty nineteen hit, and again, I started training with with my trainer John Evans, and we we, we just started going really hard. And my bounce just shot up like crazy. And I started posting dunks and like people started noticing like I was like different. Like I, I just I was a different animal, basically, like started 2019. And I just had like a this feeling that I was just going to kill it in the summer, like come summertime and contest. Like I was about to start killing and summer hits. I start winning these dunk contests, um, start doing FIBA 3x3, like just all like just start taking over the, the dunk contest world. And um, I started getting a lot more followers just because, like, like literally just my abilities as a dunker increased so much to the point that, um, like, just different people started getting noticed. I started getting posted by, like, Baller's Life a lot over time. And then August hit, and I started hitting, like, new viral dunks. And this is something that just blew me up, like, crazy was just, like, creating new dunks like like there was literally a period of time in like three months where i was coming out with a new dunk like every other week and my social media just skyrocketed from there and yeah it just it just took off at that point 
was the most viral dunk in that three month period where you were just creative dunk after creative dunk was the most viral run the 360 behind the back between the legs dunk yeah yeah that one was was ridiculous insane in terms of viral content that was a dunk where like you just know like it's it's gonna be every you know it's gonna be on espn you know it's gonna be on house of highlights bleach report all that stuff like i think a lot of a lot of dunkers um i mean even me like you try you sometimes try to create viral content and sometimes you sometimes you go and get uh, something goes viral sometimes it flops this was a dunk i hit it and i knew it was the greatest dunk ever done like everybody knows the greatest dunk ever done you just you just know like you just know it's gonna it's you just did something crazy and how do you come up with new dunks like that all the time like how do you keep just because it's tough like as someone from the outside like trying to think of new dunks but as someone that's in it all the time like how do you constantly stay coming up with fresh ideas i think i saw somewhere you have like 30 never before dunks you have written down that you want to do at some point but like how do you come up with them low rimming man this all this all started as a as a kid when when you when i was 16 years old in front of my driveway dunking on my basketball hoop like i'm there with my friends we're trying to come up with new things like i've I've always been somebody that like i get i get bored really easily like i can't like there's some dunkers out there that literally just practice the same dunk over and over and over again like I always have to be pushing myself to do something new. And I remember a rule that I created for myself back in the day was every session, I have to, I have to hit a new dunk. And when you're on a nine foot rim really quickly, that can turn like, like it, you have to get the creative juices flowing early on. Cause on a low rim, like you're not limited by your bounce. You're only limited by your mind. So say, say my first day at a low rim, I hit a, between the legs, 360, behind the back, all that stuff, and they're all new dunks. The next day, I go out. I My rule is I got to hit a new dunk. Guess what? I've already done all the difficult dunks. So now I can be like, all right, okay, I can do a 360 between the legs. And then the next day, I'd be like, oh, dang, I already did this dunk. Maybe I can throw it off the backboard now. And then eventually, it gets to the point where you've hit every dunk invented, and then you just got to start coming up with stuff. And all these ideas, like, like the 360 behind the back between the legs, you can go down to my Instagram. I'm doing it in 2015 on an, on an eight foot rim. And like all these dunks, they, yeah, like most of them just were created when I was, when I was young and you write them down, you can refer back to those lists. And obviously there's, I mean, there's the dunk here and there where like, like something will just hit you and you, you like it's something new and you, you'll try it. But most of this stuff started from young man. And a lot of it is inspiration from other guys. Like, uh, seeing other guys attempt a dunk like i'm trying a dunk called 360 kamikaze it's a dunk where you do a 360 and put it between the legs with the same hand and that dunk i got the idea from uh from uh his name smooth smooth ukraine he did a regular kamikaze dunk and then jordan kilgannon tried it 360 version um and then if and whoever whoever hits it first gets the credit for the dunk um so yeah a lot of a lot of it is just taking inspiration from other guys pulling from other sports uh and then just stuff that has already been done on low rims this might have already happened i just i've never seen it done do you think we'll ever see a day where someone does a front flip into a dunk uh that's i think that's entirely possible and i think it will be done um one i see these gymnasts like they can get some crazy airtime, like especially like going off a round off and like they can just spring up really high sometimes. Like I see this the height that these guys are getting on back foot sometimes, and I'm just like, man, like I feel like if they just put their hand out, they could dunk it. Like 
They just put a ball by a rim, have them round off into a back flip, and they can they can easily dunk. And I think I think it is possible, man. And I think that would like once it's it's kind of like the the breaking the four the four minute mile thing. Like everybody thought it was impossible, and somebody did it, and then you start seeing it all over the place. I feel like that's the next kind of frontier to cross and dunking is, is like once someone flips, like that'll open up a whole new world. Mm-hmm. And then when when did you get verified? Like, did you apply for it? Or did you just wake up one day and have the blue check mark on Instagram? So, I applied a couple times before, like months before it happened. Like, um, and, and I didn't get verified. And then one day, I was literally I was in LA. Um, I was I was visiting my girlfriend. I remember just waking up one day, and I'm on Instagram. I didn't even notice I had a blue check. And I remember just commenting and I see that there's a blue check by my name. And I was like, what the hell? Like I, I freaked out and stuff. Like, yeah, it was just, it was random. Like it just happened. That's awesome. One thing with Instagram too, I feel like a lot of people use Instagram as like a way to communicate and meet new people just through the DMs. Like, is there anyone that you've reached out to since crossing the hundred thousand follower threshold and being verified that you've been able to reach out to because you're verified on Instagram? Um, Honestly, I've never been much of a person to reach out to people. It's something I should probably start doing more, to be honest, just to take advantage of the position I have. But I've never been one to reach out to people. But I have noticed it has allowed me to, like, people have reached out to me. For example, like, like I've had uh, I've had a couple a couple NBA players like DM me and stuff, and like they're asking me what I what I do for bounce and stuff like that. Um, so it's it's helped out in in that way, and then it also just makes me more visible in comments. Like if if I post in a page like like Ball is Life or Overtime, where they're getting thousands of comments every post, like I'll I'll do a post on there, and I guess the algorithm just they make blue check comments go up top, and then th- that gets a lot of engagement going and stuff. So it's helped out a lot in that way. Um, and then I can see how it would help a lot in DMs because I think now in DMs they they group stuff based on top requests, which is all requests. And if someone that's verified DMs you, like you see that at the very top. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first non-basketball related celebrity to follow you on Instagram? Oh, uh, I don't, I don't remember to be honest. Oh, uh, I don't even, I don't remember which celebrities like, like follow me. I know, I know there's a couple, but I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head to be honest. True. And like you're a type of celebrity yourself as well. Do people ever recognize you in public? Yeah. Um, it's happened a lot. Honestly, it, it started happening like really early on. Like when I wasn't even that big, when I was like, like 19 years old, like somebody would, would recognize me from, uh, from like YouTube or Instagram or something like that. And especially guys that are like, like guys that are on their own dunk journey. Um, they'll like come up to me like, Oh, like you're like a big inspiration, like all that stuff. Um, and then it started happening a lot more over this past year, especially like when I, when I, when I had all the colorful hair, I had red hair, green hair, grew it out into like a freaking, in a mohawk and all that stuff. Like I just became a lot more recognizable. Um, and it's, it's not to the point where I'm freaking walking outside and like people instantly recognizing and stuff. Like it'll, it'll just happen every now and then. Um, the most I saw it was definitely when I, when I go, when I go viral though, when I go viral, like. I remember after I hit, I think it wasn't even the 360 on the back between the legs. It was after 360 East Bay over someone. That was my first like really viral dunk. And after that, I remember I went to to Universal Studios here here in Florida, and 
I got recognized like like six times like in the same day or something like that. That's crazy. And you mentioned YouTube there too. YouTube's something you've been working on pretty much as long as your Instagram, right? Like you've been doing it for like seven years as well. Yeah. YouTube's my favorite platform, man. Um I love Instagram is a lot more like there's like people have like shorter attention spans on there and I feel like there's more generic fans, if that makes sense. Just guys that guys that aren't aren't dunk nerds, basically. But YouTube, like you get guys that are just more invested into your journey, to be honest. And um, it's I don't know, it's just really fun. Um, you make money off of it too, which is which is nice. Um, but yeah, that's that's been my focus. Like I always posted on YouTube intermittently. I never focused on it as much as Instagram. But this last year is when I really just kicked it into overdrive. I made a goal to try to post at least three videos per week, and that started that started growing a lot. Yeah, true. I was gonna say, was it that switch to posting more that led to you starting to get like your YouTube pick up a little bit yeah. more over the last few months? Definitely, definitely. Um, that was because posting consistently kind of forces you to be making content, and as you make more content, you get better at it. You start to understand what does well, what doesn't. You start making better videos that you know will blow up and all that. Um, and honestly, consistency with posting is like. That would probably be my number one tip for for growing social media is just having a consistent consistent schedule. Um, you don't want to be to the point where like you're kind of like getting everybody brain dead with content, like posting twice a day. But like um, just making a schedule, even if it's even if it's twice a week, like just sticking to that, and eventually like you'll see growth. For me with YouTube, it took a while. Like I started, I made it a goal to to grow my YouTube like January 2019 and it didn't or no this is December 2018 and it didn't pick up for another I want to say like nine months so this is nine months posting three times a week the views basically didn't change at all and then all of a sudden one video took off and kept posting consistently and then it just exponentially grew from there Mm -hmm. and when you're making those videos are you doing it all yourself or do you have people help you produce the content uh everything's myself man um like youtube's my baby like (laughs) like i've had it since since 2013 and i don't know i take a lot of pride in it like even though the quality of my content isn't as high as it could be if i had someone that was like better at it than me like 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 i said I, i see it as my baby like it's like it's something that i always wanted to be mine completely Mm-hmm. what kind of gear do you have do you just use your cell phone or do you have a camera and stuff that you use as well so i have a camera but honestly iphones got so good lately like i literally this past year where i was where i i grew my youtube a lot i literally just use my phone and the iMovie app on my phone um now i just bought a i just bought a, a, a mac like like a month ago i started editing on that but this whole last year is literally on my phone and I'm moving, man. That's awesome. I think that's cool for people to hear though, right? Cause like you're up over 36,000 followers on YouTube. You've seen some growth in the last year and you did it all from a phone. Like, I think that's just it eliminates excuse for people that want to do YouTube, but don't think they have a good enough camera. Like you did it using literally from your phone, which I think is really cool for people to hear. Yeah, yeah man. Just literally just the phone and iMovie. Like, and it's, it's crazy. Cause I see, I see a lot of guys, they, they prioritize the the tools they have over the content. I feel like content is king. Like, like even though I'm filming from my phone, um, th- there's things you can do. Like, like my like I did things such as I have I live with two roommates, 
Um, and one of my roommates, he's also a dunker. His name's Austin, Austin Burke. And I made a, he, he, he's taking a Spanish class now. I made a deal with him. I was like, yo, like I'll do, I'll, I'll help you with uh, Spanish homework. If you come out and film me like once a week for my sessions. So instantly from there, I don't care. I don't care who you are. The quality from having someone recording you on a phone would be better than a camera on a tripod any day of the week. And that's just like from a quality like standpoint. So like doing things like that, like, like can make your content way better. And then uh, the things you say, like, is, is the information you're giving, is it bringing value to people? That's, that's the other thing. Like you got to bring value to the, to the person who's consuming the content. Like I'm, I'm out here like creating tips uh, for people or giving advice to people, giving tips out, um, showing an inside look into my life as a pro dunker, which is something not a lot of guys have done. Um, so it's just like bringing something unique and just giving good content that, that takes priority over like, like the, the equipment that you're using. Mm-hmm. And are you recording every single time you're in the gym or every single time you're out dunking or are there times where you're just there specifically to training and you don't even want to think about the content? Um, I try, I try my best to record as much as possible. I actually got this, this piece of advice from, uh, Gary V. Um, I remember him mentioning on one of his videos, he said, uh, to create content, just document everything. Like you documenting your life is your content. And I remember hearing that and I was like, all right, like I'm going to try, I'm going to try my best to just record literally everything, like as much as I can. Like every time I'm in the gym, record all my dunk sessions, record it, all my weight training sessions, record it. Um, and from there, just it, like you have so much content you can post consistently from there. Um, but it does get tiring, to be honest. Like, there's days, like, I'm just like, man, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna live today. Like, no social media, no nothing. Just focus on the, on the, on getting that work in. But yeah, I'm, I try to record everything as much as I can. And speaking of Gary V, another thing he's been big on, especially the last like probably four or five months, is TikTok. And I checked this morning, you joined TikTok, I think, in only like in January, and you're already up over 66K. You have one and a half million likes. Like, how has TikTok been for you in terms of incorporating it into your content schedule? Um, TikTok, I just, I just want to go out and say I, I hate TikTok, man. <laughs> like TikTok, TikTok's been out, TikTok's been out for a while now, and I remember, like, really early on, I was on it, and then I was just like, man, I can't, I can't make videos on here. Like, screw this. Like, I'm just gonna stick, stick to Instagram and YouTube. Um, but around December uh, this last year. I, I I remember going on TikTok and like seeing because my trainer my trainer's on it and he's post he was posting a lot and he posted two of my vertical jump tests and they got like a million views or something like that and then this other page Dunkademics posted my dunks and they were getting hella views on there and I was like damn like this is something I need I need to capitalize on and I downloaded it started posting in January and again it's the posting consistently thing I made a goal I was like you know what I'm gonna post one video every single day like every single day and from there a video would just randomly go viral here and there and like i said before posting consistently you start get, kind of getting a knack for what does well what doesn't what people are watching what's good quality what isn't good quality how to use the app how to edit it well and my content just slowly started getting better and better and better and i started being able to predict what was going to blow up and what wasn't and just started just started blowing up from there um I've slowed down a lot over this last month with the usage uh, just because like I've been trying to cut out like social media as much because like it, get, it gets really addic- addicting to be on it. So I'm not posting every day anymore. But yeah, man, I just I just posted consistently on it and it's, it just blew up 
a little bit over time. One other place I noticed that you're posting consistently that I was curious about was Facebook. Like I looked into, you're still posting every day, every other day on Facebook, even though engagement on Facebook as a whole for everyone isn't as high as other platforms. I was curious as to why you're still consistent with that platform. Uh, Facebook, honestly, I barely ever think about Facebook, but I just, when I make a post on Instagram, there's an option to share on Facebook. And in my mind, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt. There's always people that are only on Facebook. There's always people that are only on YouTube, only on Instagram. And those people are still want to consume your content. And I feel like it, it never hurts to just get as many fans as possible, get as many people like viewing your content as possible. So it's just another thing to try to try to try to hit, man, like another another demographic to hit. And I do that by just sharing my Instagram post to Facebook. And that's allowed me to be consistent. And there's times I'm literally not on Facebook for two months, but I'll continue posting from my Instagram. And then I'll go in there and see that like, oh, like there it just grew by by a thousand followers or so or a thousand people. And all right, that, that's pretty cool. <laughs> like I'll go in and check in every now and then and come back. Um, I don't think it grows as fast because I, I feel like a big thing is engaging with your followers as well. So I, I'm really bad at engaging on Facebook, but yeah, just, just, I just shared everything from Instagram. That's fair, man. I was just curious about that, but changing gears a little bit here. I saw somewhere that recently that you're really getting into meditation and visualization. I was curious as to what you do to practice that. Yeah. Um, meditation was really big. Um, this this past year, uh, I honestly I credit a lot of my success before I blew up this past year to my meditation. Um, I'm a big proponent, like like if you've heard like laws of the universe, like law law of attraction, like that type of thing. Um, I just started like stu- like studying that stuff a lot more, and then getting into meditation and um, really just trying to like manifest my goals into reality and doing that through, through meditation. So I. I made a, I have a journal I keep. I wrote down uh, three goals, three big goals that I, that I have. Um, and I started, I, re, I literally read those same three goals every day, three times per day. It keeps it in my head. I feel like you attract the things that you constantly think about. So by reading those goals, I was constantly thinking about those things and taking action and manifesting those things. And then through my meditation, just, I literally, I take 15 minutes every single day. I'll lie down and I'll sit completely still and I'll just focus on visualizing my goals, visualizing actually already having them. Um, I did it before Quiet 54, before Quiet 54. um, I was actually injured for two months before and then I was able to start dunking again only a week before the competition. During that whole time, I literally just visualized winning. It wasn't even visualizing the contest. It was me visualizing winning that whole time. And yeah, I just repeated that process throughout this whole year. And even with my, with my goals, as far as life, and social media and all that stuff, just meditating and, and visualizing those things. And they just slowly started manifesting everything. All of my goals I've been manifesting little by little. That's awesome. And there's one other thing I wanted to ask you about too. I wanted to ask you what role your brother and sister played in your life growing up. Yeah. Um, they played a huge role. Um, for those of you guys that don't know, my, uh, two of my younger siblings, my family's huge. So there's, I have more siblings, but two of my younger siblings, they have spinal muscular atrophy. So they're, they're wheelchair bound their whole lives. Um, and growing up that made it really tough on my family. Um, but having said that it, it made family a really key important part of my life because of having to help take care of them. I, 
had to stay home. I didn't hang out with like friends as much as I could, or uh, yeah, as much as I could. I couldn't do things like go out partying and stuff like that. Like it was constantly taking care of them um, every single day, helping them go use the bathroom, get dressed, brush their teeth. Literally every single day, that was that was part of the routine, and um, it taught me it taught me work ethic. Um, you know, prioritizing things in life. Like there's so many people that are kind of like lazy about doing things, but you know, and every day, like if I you have to you have to go. I have to get up. If my brother wakes up in the middle of the night having to use the bathroom, I have to get up and lift him up, carrying him, carry him all the way to the bathroom, help him out. Um if they need help reaching something, I you gotta go help them reach out. So honestly, it changed my perspective a lot in life and it really taught me patience. Uh, it taught me how to be compassionate towards people. Um, and honestly, just to not take anything for granted, not to take your physical abilities for granted. Like, um, you know, my siblings, they're, they're never going to know the feeling of being able to walk. And when someone, when you have physical gifts of yourself, like not even get like, let's, you don't even have to be talented, but just having the ability to walk, like, like I feel like everybody should maximize themselves physically because not everybody has that blessing. You know what I mean? So like, with this dunking thing, it's like, like I, I, I have, I have to be the best. Like I have to try my best to just jump as high as possible, see how fast I can run, how strong I can get. Because it's, it's a gift that I was given. It's a gift most people are given on this planet. Mm. That's powerful stuff, man. I just want to say thank you for ta- for being willing to share that with everyone. That that that's really cool. It means a lot. Sure, for sure. Um, but before we wrap up, dude, I ask everyone the same standard set of questions. I know we're a little bit over time, so we'll try and fly through these rapid fire as fast as we can. The first question is: You're going to dinner. You can take anybody. Be three people dead or alive. Who do you take to dinner? Ooh, take anybody to dinner. All right. Uh, Will Smith, number one. Um. Number two is The Rock, and number three, Michael Jordan. That's a good group, man. I just listened to a Rap Radar interview with Will Smith. I think it's from a couple of years ago. It was so good. I really, really liked it. If you haven't yeah. listened to it yet, I definitely check it out. Um, second question, what's some of the best advice you've ever gotten? Um, do what you love and try, try your best to be the best at it. What's one thing about you people wouldn't expect? Uh, I'm a nerd. Uh, I, I had a 4.3 GPA in school. I went to, I had an academic scholarship, mechanical engineering, later switched my major, but I'm a, I'm a nerd through and through, man. <laughs> that's awesome. What's one thing that's so important everybody needs to know? Um, aside, aside from what I said, um, do, do what you love. I feel like that's the most important thing in life. Um, do everything through love and through gratitude. Be grateful for things and have the understanding that love is the most powerful feeling on, on this planet. That's awesome. I like that. For the final question, I like to flip the script a little bit. So instead of me asking the question, it's you asking the question, but it's not to me. So pretend you have this crystal ball and you can ask this crystal ball any question and you'll get the answer. What is one question you want to know the answer to? What happens after we die? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. It's a, common, it's a common answer. A lot of people want to know that, man. But I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on this podcast today. I want to give you the floor. Where can the people find you? Plug anything and everything that you got right now. Yeah, uh, you can find me on social media, um, any any social media platform. Just look up Isaiah Rivera. I'll pop right up. Um, that's including YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, and then I also have a website. It's called thpstrength.com. Um, 
we have a I have a podcast on there with my trainer. It's everything about jump training. We've filmed 24 episodes so far. Um, we also make content on how to jump higher and you can also get customized coaching from the on there on, on how to jump higher. And yeah, that, that's pretty much it, man. I'm uh, really happy I got to do this podcast. It was really fun. Awesome. Yeah, man. I had a blast. I want to thank you once again for being on this podcast. And I want to thank everybody for listening, whether you've listened the entire way through or you only listen to Biz and Pieces. I really appreciate you taking time to check this out. Everyone do me a huge favor. Go and follow Isaiah. I'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below so you can follow him on Instagram, YouTube, and everywhere else. And if you'd like to follow me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at the Jacob Kelly. Feel free to come and say hello. My DMs are always open. And if you'd like to follow the podcast, you can find us on Instagram and at my social life podcast or on YouTube by searching on my social life. Thank you once again for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon.